This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. The Change That Binds podcast, where we spotlight customer-centered professionals and CX experts who have a distinguished career in managing organizational change for the purpose of delivering best-in-class service experiences. Whether you've just started your journey to creating best-in-class service experiences or well on your way, you'll be inspired by insights from our guests on how they have navigated their career in CX. I'm your host, Vivian Phillips' husband, and today I have the great fortune of chatting with Diana Moses, a business development leader and customer experience strategist with classic Disney training and cutting-edge global business consulting experience. Welcome, Diana. Hello. (laughs) So I met Diana, I can't believe, Diana, it's been six years ago that we met, and what immediately impressed me about you was your singular focus on customer experiences and your belief that pleasing customers was a joyful endeavor, I would even say somewhat magical experience, and that it was beneficial to the customer and to the employee delivering that experience when we take the approach of it being joyful. So I am so, so very excited for this conversation today with you, Diana, where we're going to talk about customer experience and change and why culture matters so much. And you know, when we think about the term culture, it's used so frequently that we often lose sight of the definition. And while there seems to be agreement that culture exists, there's less of agreement about why it matters. And a definition that I love very much is by Bella Bethany, where she says culture includes social knowledge and understanding, ways of knowing, thinking and doing, beliefs, customs and habits shared by a community of people that's passed on through social transmission. So Diana, when I think of your magical approach to customer experience, I'm curious about the cultures that you've experienced that has shaped your mindset. So can you tell us about your journey and how you came to be where you are? Sure. I, I think that's a fantastic definition. Um, I My journey is actually a really interesting one because I did not set out to be in customer experience when I started my career. I graduated 30 years ago with a degree in chemistry with the idea that I was going to be a forensic criminalist um, chemist who would go out and solve crime scenes using chemical theories and chemistry to understand what's going on. The problem was when I went to apply for my first job, I was not old enough yet to apply for it. So I got an on-the-side job in sales. Uh, to tide me over for the year until I could actually do the career that I wanted. Um, well, I, as things go, uh, 30 years later, I'm still doing sales and marketing and customer experience because I fell in love with it. Absolutely fell in love with working with people and how people work um, to learn different things and to change their behaviors and uh, that customer experience. I've done sales, I've done marketing, I've done customer experience. Uh, I've put together organizations. Um, I've 
gone through mergers, acquisitions, Fortune 100 companies like Disney and Pfizer. I've worked for lean process improvement cultures where I've had an opportunity to teach other organizations um, how to make meaningful change in the organization using um, quality improvement. Uh, I've most recently worked for Disney Institute teaching customer experience culture. And now I, I laugh, 30 years later, I've come full circle. I now work for a private company uh, that is, of all things, a chemistry company. <laughs> and I, I am finally, after 30 years, falling back on my chemistry degree and using the degree that I got uh, when I graduated. But uh, I have just loved working with people over the years. Yes. It's been a lot of fun and a very interesting journey. It sounds very interesting. Um, so when most individuals think of customer experience, customer service, they see that as a soft skill. But here we have a highly skilled scientist, a chemist, who stepped into that space um, and has embraced it in, a, in ways um, that you've just described. Can you share then an impactful change effort that shaped um, your approach to customer experience? As a chemist, you came into it and what just sort of grabbed you and said, you're not going anywhere. I got your heart. Yeah, yeah. So first of all, I'll let you in on a secret. Customer experience is in every role. So even a chemist has customers, uh, even a somebody who you wouldn't think, a finance accountant, uh, any job in the organization has customer experience. Um, but for me, when I started, I had my initial sales training. And one of the things they taught us is we would deliver sales information or product features and benefits was to give information, ask a question, and then pause. Pause. It sounds so simple. But that is the one thing that has really made me come to light that the customer has a voice in the conversation. Right. Uh, so when they you know, teach us, they say, you get, deliver something and then pause. And I would literally in my head say, pause so that I would close my mouth and open my ears and listen to what the customer has to say. And that's morphed over the years to now as a leader, I make sure that I'm pausing and listening whenever a question is asked or someone is giving me information. I'm not trying to come up with what my answer is, but I'm really trying to digest the information that's given to me by whatever individual, whether it's a direct report or it's a customer or it's a superior or a peer, that, that concept of pause, and I still literally in my head say pause just to make sure that I, mm -hmm. I didn't listen to the answer. So I would say that's the one thing that I have carried from my very initial training in that very first job all the way to today. I love that. I love that. And, and I can see how that practice can show up in a very real way when you're talking about the interaction with a customer. So they are sharing something with you that pause is a signal that I am hearing, I am processing what you were saying. I, I didn't have a canned response that I'm, I'm waiting to just spit out at you. So I love that. That's awesome. And so with that in mind then, Diana, what does a customer-centered organization mean to you? What does that look like um, when you think about your experiences? So for me, it might be a little different than most organizations. And I learned this uh, when I did consulting. For me, everyone is a customer not just the people who purchase our products or services, but the people that I work with, 
the employees in the organization, the suppliers that I deal with, the leaders that maybe manage me or that the people that I manage, everyone is a customer and being customer centric is treating them all the same. Um, too often I'd get into organizations and they would say, well, that's customer, that's the customer experience team, that their job is to deal with the customer. And I'm like, well, mm -hmm. do you realize that the customer experience team is your customer? <laughs> <laughs> and how are you, you know, relating to them? Because when I, I have people who are in my organization who ask me a question, I know they're waiting on me for a response and they can't move forward in their job until they get that response. So okay. I try very, very hard to have a sense of urgency, just as much of a sense of urgency getting back to maybe a colleague as I do a customer who's calling in about maybe one of my products or my services that I'm, I'm selling at the time. Mm -hmm. So for me, customer centric is everyone is a customer and it feels really good to be in that type of an organization. And I have yes. been in, in cultures where it is a customer-centric culture where everyone's a customer. And then I've been in other organizations where the employees are dirt. Only the customers matter, but they don't realize that when they treat their employees like dirt, their employees treat their customers like dirt. So you have to treat everyone as if they are your customer. Right. It, it's a it's a matter of just um, loving everyone and being considerate to everyone and recognizing that everyone needs something from you or you have something to give to them. I love I love that way of thinking. So how do you when you think about your classic Disney training, um, they are well known across the globe of being able to zero in on an individual need, but at the same time, understanding the broader customer experience. And so when you think about um, your experience around looking at the individual and giving them what they need. How do you, how have you found that organizations are able to do that successfully and balance the larger organizational um, desire of customer centricity? It's, um, it's really, again, it's, it's how it's led in the organization. Uh, leadership plays a huge role in that. Um, how your leaders treat their direct reports, that rolls down an organization. Mm -hmm. So it's very important that as leaders, we're modeling right. what that looks like to our employees on a regular basis. Yes. Um, yes. Not just every now and then, but consistently all the time so they can see, oh, this is an all the time thing. This isn't just a special because another boss is in the room thing. Right. This That's is a doing the right thing when nobody's looking and treating each other uh, and having the expectation that we treat each other. So as a leader coaching it, if you see that it's amiss as well. Yes, yes. And so what have you seen as a common pitfall in that in that same vein where organizations um, try to move toward customer centricity, but they they don't quite get there? What is one of those com that common denominator that keeps them from doing that? Yeah, so if we would say culture is led by the most senior leader in the organization, what I would say the biggest pitfall that I've seen, and I've actually talked to CEOs about this, you cannot delegate culture. Yeah. Meaning your chief executive officer um, is the person, uh, if you think of culture as a ship on the waters, your chief executive, whoever that is, whoever the buck stops in your organization, they have their hand on that, that tiller. They're the ones steering the boat. So everything they do is going to steer the boat in either favor of the culture they desire or away from the culture that they desire. Mm 
Mm -hmm. You can't delegate that. And I'll give you an example. If I had, I can remember clearly, I had one, uh, it was a physician leader who said, well, I'm going to change this culture and it's going to be like this. And I'm delegating it to Sally Joe, name is fictitious, to to lead that charge. And I said, you're going to fail. Why? why? Basically, you can't delegate that because what if Sally Joe's peer who reports to you doesn't have the same idea that she does? Well, they're going to come to you and you're eventually going to have to make a decision. Your decision is either going to be in favor of the culture you want or not. So what does that mean? That means you're actively leading culture, regardless of whether or not you think you're delegating it. So the biggest pitfall I have is when some some senior leaders say it's not my job. I say, actually, it is your one and only job (laughs) organization, because that dictates how well you do the rest of your job. Yeah, love that. Love that. So, wow, this pandemic, this has really thrown us for a loop, right? I just, I remember when it came, hit us in 2020 around March, springtime, and I'm thinking, oh, this will be about, what, uh, three months and we'll be back on track. And here we are going into two years of it. So when you think of the pandemic, and in what ways um, do you think the pandemic has changed our collective thinking about customer experience, or if it has? I definitely think it has changed it. There are now more ways to um, exhibit customer experience than ever before when we think about how um, many organizations move to a virtual environment to provide services or goods for their customers um, from in-person experiences. Uh, they, you know, we've now have curbside pickup for everything. So it's definitely changed customer service. Um, in that it has increased the number of venues for customer touch points within your organization. Right. And in that way, probably has made it more complex, right? And and difficult oh, okay. to get it right because all of those various channels and points sure. of contact. Right? Yeah. Sure. It, uh, it, it's been more of a challenge, I think, for leaders, and it has demonstrated to me anyway um, in the businesses that I've observed the need for even greater attention on leadership to culture because you're now having re- remote employees, which it's great. You can lead culture when you're in person and modeling it, but how do you model it when you don't see someone every day? That's right. What does that look like? You know, how are you coaching those emails, those video calls, you know, those um, non-in-person points of contact as intentionally as you may have coached the in-person things that you observed when you were all in the same building? Yes. Uh, yes. It's, it's definitely changed things for, for the organization and caused more things to monitor because there's so many more channels now, um, not just for your external customers, which are the people who buy those products and services, but your internal customers, as I like to call them, your colleagues. That's right. That's right. Yeah, one of the things that I was talking with a, a friend about is for those who are new to the industry, they're just coming out of college and they have not yet learned the the ways and the mores to be in an organization, it's probably going to be very difficult for an organization to translate their culture to them because it's all virtual. So they're not picking up those nuances that you often feel and see when you're in person-to-person settings. So I can see that. 
Absolutely. And as leaders, I think we have to be more intentional about conveying those nuances. Yes. Um, and be more straightforward. You know, a lot of times you can pick up something from sitting in a meeting room with someone, um, but you may have to be more overt at explaining it to new hires. And incidentally, when all those folks come back into in-person office settings, if your organization decides to go back into an in-person setting, those folks are going to have to be trained on how to do that because they've never done that before. That's right. That They're is going really to have point. to be, you know, assimilated into that culture physically that they have been virtual. They may be experts at the virtual culture, but don't be surprised when they walk in the door for the first time if they don't understand the cultural norms of the organization. Yes, yes, that's a very good point. And so the hope, of course, is that we manage uh, the pandemic and it becomes something that's in our rearview mirror. But what do you think there's something about this whole experience that we absolutely must take to our future leadership approach? That there's some learning that happened with the pandemic around leadership and customer experience that we just should not let go of, that we should move forward with it. Yeah, I think for me, it's the intentionality. You know, all of these leaders had to now lead remote Mm -hmm. And they had to work extra hard to connect with their employees while they were remote, if they were remote, or if they were an essential worker in front line under extremely strenuous conditions. Yes. Um, and I think of our, our hospitals, our healthcare, our uh, grocery, our truck, you know, all of those essential employees, they have been in unusually stressful conditions how have we changed our leadership intensity to match that? And what would it look like if our leaders maintain that intensity when things go, quote unquote, back to normal um, and actually take all the things that they've learned and keep applying them forward? How much more cared for would our employees feel like? Um, and how would they pay that forward to our customers? Yes, yes, excellent. I love that, I love that. So when you think about, again, your your span of your career, what other significant world or national events have, have shaped how we care for our customers? And, and in what way are those events in the past similar to what we're experiencing now? You know, I think the, the biggest immediate change I can think of in the past, besides the pandemic, which that has just been unprecedented, um, would be the financial collapse of 2008. Yes. Uh, when we saw so many employees um, being let go. So the employment levels were very high, very similar to the pandemic, um, and that there was a lot of need to how do we help all of these employees. So I think in terms of just mass numbers of changes, that would be a similar change. What's different about that, that I will be curious to see how this impacts is, back then there was a flood of employees into the market and no jobs. We have the reverse problem. Mm -hmm. You know, We might have a flood of employees in the market, but nobody can hire anyone for these jobs. Right, right. These jobs are going completely unfilled. So it's in um, a, a person who's looking for a job, a job seekers market, they can pick and choose from the organizations that they want um, where that wasn't before. And it'll be interesting to see how companies will change and, and frankly, put their culture forward to attract top talent mm -hmm. to not only want to come to their organization, but stay at their organization. Because yes. right now there's choices. There's a lot of choices out there of where you can go to work. 
Yeah, and and individuals um, are just choosing a different work environment altogether. So I that's the work I do. You're a great company, but I want to do it in a different way. Right. So that's a really good point. You know, yeah. what might have been an on-site job in the past, they're like, well, we can mm -hmm. do it remote. I'd like to stay home because I, I don't want to commute. You know, I don't right. want an hour and a half commute and I can be just as effective at home. Can we take a look at that? Would that work for, for this organization? And I think organizations are really going to have to grapple with that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because people have learned they, they don't necessarily want to commute. Um, and they can get more done without having to spend an hour and a half to three hours a day in their car. Yes. And I wonder, do you do you get a sense that the customer experience feels that when we have individuals who are working in the envi environment that they want to be in? Does that translate into a different, better, not so great customer experience? I think for those organizations um, like for those jobs where you're directly in front of a customer like a customer experience specialist sure if you're in a, a mm -hmm. an environment and you're at a call center you know or a virtual call center if you will and you're in an environment that's that's comfortable for you certainly I think that does pay for but I think anything that's going to make an employee feel better about where they are and where they're working is going to pay forward to your customers Yes. Whether it's it's habitat, whether it's how you're treated, whether it's understanding your goals, um, it, it is truly the way you treat your employees is how they're going to treat your customers. Right. Yes. Yes. You know, an, a national event that I think of often when comparing with to compare with what we're going through now is the attack on the Twin Towers oh, and yeah. how that and how that changed the way we saw individuals um, any individual. So the airline industry and how they screen people coming through changed drastically and um, and, and how we assume um, harm as opposed to no, there's no harm. And if it is, you're an exception. But we changed everything to be where this screening has to take place all the time and and how that changed the customer experience. And so that's why I often think about the pandemic. In what way will there be lingering effects of the pandemic that will change the experience? I think people are going to demand more options. Mm -hmm. You know, If you've introduced something that's more customer friendly, like delivering to their door, yes. if you take that away, um, you might lose customers over that. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. when you open up these new channels, uh, your customers are gonna expect those new channels to move forward. Um, and Amazon's been great about introducing delivery, right? You can have anything literally delivered to your door. Right. Um, and a lot of cus uh, companies have jumped on the bandwagon during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. yes. you know, same thing with food delivery services. You, know, you see places that may have been sit-down restaurants now providing takeout or now providing delivery through a DoorDash or, or some sort of a delivery mechanism. If that goes away, that could be detrimental because now your customers are ex expecting those additional channels. Um, so I think that leaders are going to have to really monitor which ones are profitable for their organizations and working and which ones, you know, what are they going to put their limited resources into to maintain their business forward after the after the pandemic is hopefully over at some point. Yes, it, yes, absolutely. And also keeping a bead on the culture. Right, because with all that change, it's it's shifting how we think about 
uh, customers and our beliefs about what they should expect and what we should give. And that little by little, lot by lot, starts to change the culture of the organization for the better or for the worse, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So um, what books or studies have had an impact on your leadership approach? Uh, I know that you read a lot. I looked at your LinkedIn page. You're always putting out some great articles out there. So which, when you think about uh, a book or a study that you just recently read, or maybe even the past that changed your leadership approach to customer experience, what would that be? What would you like to share? Yeah, um, well, I, I would say the one book that has probably shaped me the most as a leader is called The Dream Manager, and it's by Matthew Kelly. It's literally a book that talks about knowing and understanding your employees' dreams mm-hmm. and the role that you play in helping to facilitate them um, and what that means to uh, retention of employees and uh, the employee happiness. And again, how your employees are treated, who are your customers if you're a leader. I always would tell them if I had a team of 12, I'd always tell them, look, I have 12 customers. If I can't do right by you 12, I'm in trouble as a leader. I'm, I'm really terrible at my job. <laughs> so how well are you um, listening to your customers, your employees, and understanding what their dreams are? And I'll, I'll give you an example. I, uh, When I worked for Radio Disney, I was a station manager for Radio Disney in Seattle. I had part-time employees um, that were at the local universities that would come in and, and do events for us. And one of the uh, young ladies who worked for me, who's a part-time employee, maybe put in six, seven hours a week, was studying to be an HR specialist. And I, I talked with her and she said, well, you know, I'm going to California. I said, well, you know, tell me what you're studying. She said, I'm studying HR. I said, would you like to talk with one of the HR specialists at Disney and just learn a little bit about what it's like in HR in a Fortune 100 company and what that looks like for you? And she's like, oh my gosh, you could do that. I'm like, sure. I mean, I picked up the phone. I called my HR representative down there and said, hey, I got one of my employees coming down there. Can you make 30 minutes for her and answer some questions? She's a college student. She's studying. And, and it's like, sure, no problem. Costs nothing to do that. Other than time and investment and understanding, she went down, had a fantastic conversation. I'm happy to say, you know, seven years later, she's an HR specialist for a Fortune 100 company. She -hmm. stayed employed with us, you know, all the time she was in college. She was very engaged. But it takes so little to help people realize their dreams. And that book really made me think differently about how I interact with my, my team members, that they're not just helping me get to a bottom line, but that they are real people who have real dreams and that if I can help them, uh, that can do wonders for the organization and for them. Lovely. The fantastic book. And it's a quick read, but it's really wonderful. I am definitely going to pick that one up. Um, So, and I think you kind of sort of answered my next question around giving back and what pearl of wisdom would you give to an up and coming change agent or a person wanting to move into the customer experience space. I love the idea of always reaching back and making real the dreams of others, but anything else that you would share as a pearl of wisdom? The the one thing I might say is integrity. Don't ever compromise your integrity um, or uh, lack confidence in your beliefs and understanding of a situation. what I mean by this is so many times across my career, I've been asked to do things that either A, I know are, are not right um, or wrong, or in one case, completely against the law. 
and I've been able to stand up and say, no, that's not right. Um, I'm going to give you the information that's helpful to you. You, you pay me a really awesome salary for my experience. So I'm going to share with you the experiences that I have, um, and help educate. And oftentimes it's up, right? You're being asked by a manager to do something that maybe they don't know is not right or illegal or against, you know, policy, um, to have confidence, just have confidence in your own integrity and your own self and your understanding of the customer experience and to be able to articulate why that doesn't make sense when someone asks you to do something that doesn't reconcile. Because then it goes back on that person to think about what you've said and digest it or come back with you and teach you and train you. Maybe um, maybe you're, you don't know and they can help coach and lead you. So having honest conversations um, around your own beliefs and integrity, I think, is really important. Outstanding. Wow, what a way to end a conversation. Thank you so much. That was great. Diana, you have to come back again and we have to chat some more about all the various tentacles that attach to the customer experience and how leaders in the organization can be intentional, as you mentioned, about how that happens for the organization. So you'll have to come back. Well, I would love that. I'm passionate about customer service. I do feel like everyone is a customer, regardless of your role in my ecosystem of work. Um, it's important. And it, the more you pay out, the more it comes back to you, is paid back to you. So it's, it's a wonderful cyclic thing that just feeds off of each other. It's great. Excellent. Excellent. So you've been listening to the podcast Change That Binds podcast, where we've been inspired by insights from Diana on how she has navigated her career of managing organizational change for the purpose of delivering best-in-class service experiences. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, please share and give it a like. Also, join me again next month on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts, where we'll continue our conversation about Change That Binds. Please check us out at changethatbinds.com today, where you'll find the show notes and links to resources mentioned during the podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Phillips-Husband, and I thank you very much for listening. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.